We're going to read today from the uh, book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 8. So turn with me, if you would, if you have your Bibles, your iPads, phones. If you have none of those, there is a Bible in the pew in front of you. It's called Old School. We're going to begin with verse 1, chapter 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave of themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. This is the word of the Lord. Second Corinthians has been a key passage we've used in Mission Possible literature. You've seen it before, and through the help of the staff, uh, they recommend it. We look at it again. It's one of the uh, Second Corinthians eight and nine is probably the most thorough display of what grace giving looks among church saints, and it's the pattern. We can run to it all the time. Uh, I simply want to speak on the theme of continue to be gracious. And you notice what he says in verse 11? But now finish doing it also, so that just as there was a readiness to desire it, we haven't had a big stewardship campaign to bring you to this meeting. We're here to confirm and to show appreciation to you. Invite others. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you. 
Many have not joined us, and we invite you to this table. But he, he's telling the Corinthians, last year you thought it was a good idea to do this, but you haven't followed through or followed through. And he's used the poorer example, the Macedonians, a poor, poor church. The Macedonians were the Philippians, uh, the Thessalonians, the Bereans. And uh, they were in extreme way. Uh, you would just say they're not capable of giving. And so I want to look at three things in what he says in this section. First of all, the evidence of the grace of God is seen in giving. Uh, the evidence God is working. You see, we really, the big issue is not money. It is not at all money. But what giving is, it's the indicator light that your engine needs to add oil. Because Jesus said it, what a man does with money tells you where his heart is. And so what money really is, is a divine thermometer on whether you've got a heart for God or not. And those who are always grousing about God and church and money, you obviously know their heart's not in God or church. But if they want something for them, if Las Vegas is calling, or, or, or they need a new boat, or they need a new this, they need, they're not needs, they're greeds, because you don't need it, you just want it. And anytime church and money comes up, I know the unbeliever, I, oh, there they go. That's all you guys talk about. No, it's not. Uh, you, you know what? We try, try to watch the evening news, and in between a two-minute clip of news, we watch six commercials. And every one of them want my money. I don't quit watching the evening news. Uh, everybody wants your money. Your wife, your kids, uh, the stores you go to, they don't want you in. Don't go to a store and then say, now you don't want my money. He said, you got to be kidding. We're not being nice to you because you look good. You ain't that good looking. It's what's in your pocket that we want. But God wants your heart. And an evidence of the grace of God working in you remarkably is that you turn into being a giver. And then he takes that example of the Macedonians and he exhorts the Corinthians, follow through with it. And we're going to look at that exhortation. And then I'd like to end with two examples, maybe the two examples of the greatest givers in all the Bible. And we'll look at the richest person who ever gave, and we'll look at the poorest person who ever gave. So, first of all, he's commending the Macedonians to the Corinthians. Hey, you know about this little community over next to you. Corinth, you're a wealthy seaport town. Lots of money in your town. People go to your town to party. But the Roman Empire is taxing everything in Macedonia. They begin to tax the silver mines. They even put a tax on salt in Macedonia. Uh, they had high taxes. Uh, the Roman government was oppressive to the region of Macedonia. And so they were in dire straits economically. And besides that, he said, you're in a deep affliction, 
a trying affliction, which means your church is living under all kinds of pressure. What all that is, I don't know. Economically, big time. But persecution, other pressures. He said, we know that you are not an ideal model for giving. Because you're not, you don't have much to give. It's not easy to give. You're already under pressure. You're already under strain. And yet, the poorest church that I'm dealing with is begging me to give an offering to their poor brothers in Jerusalem. So the poor want to give the poor an offering. And the Corinthians are the fat cats that are saying in 1 Corinthians 4, the kingdom is already here. We're reigning. We're eating good. We're prospering. The kingdom must have come. And Paul said, no, 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 no. You may be doing good, but I'm suffering. I'm being treated like the scum of the earth. I, I'm uh, holding on to logs in the Mediterranean Sea for three days and three nights. I'm being beat up. I'm going poor. I look like a washout. And you're saying the kingdom's already come? It's just because you become fat cats. And you think everybody has got all your wealth. They don't. And so he's telling them about the Macedonians, what the poor boys give. You know, I found that out as a uh, kind of an itinerant evangelist. I used to preach around a lot of churches all the time preaching. And invariably, I, I can't, I don't understand it. The smaller the church, the more wonderful the offering was. You know, they would take an offering for the evangelists. The bigger the church got, the tighter it got. Matter of fact, they'd hand me the check before I preached. Just to be sure I got out of town. Over here, they let these poor folks, these smaller churches, 70, 80. And no matter if the amounts were the same, this offering was twice as meaningful. They were small. They weren't big. They weren't wealthy. I knew they had to really love the preacher and the sermon to give what they did. So he says, I know that you're in great affliction. He said, second of all, I know you're giving out of deep poverty. He uses a word here for their poverty that it's so deep, some have just simply said, they're rock bottom. They can't give anymore. Shouldn't be giving at all. And watch what he says here. Out of a great ordeal of affliction, uh, they gave... Uh, and they, out of great poverty, this deep poverty, you're at the bottom. It'd be like for us going to all the welfare recipients in our area and say, give us an offering. I don't think I'd have the courage to do that. And Paul didn't have the courage. He didn't ask them to give the way they gave. No. He told about the need. And they responded. And so the church that's the most afflicted, the church that is the poorest, didn't have this excuse, well, go somewhere else and get it. They said, oh, no, 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 no. They called the offering two things. They called it a fellowship, which means partnership, and a ministry of grace. You know what? Us folks that got our pen and have been in these uh, campaigns, 
my brother David and I, this is our 27th year of giving above tithe. 27 years. Because when we started these campaigns, he said to me one day, he said, you know you and I will be in the grave before these campaigns end. And that's right here, people, you can't give 10%. Get over it. That doesn't even belong to you, you thief. 10%, God says, you give that to me to show that I'm the owner and that I deserve the first part that you say, Creator, you gave the rain that enabled me to raise this crop. Creator, you made the seed germinate. Creator, you kept pestilence away. Creator, you caused my flocks to abound. I acknowledge you. They, they never called it an offering until you gave the first 10. I just heard Tony Evans saying today that, you know, it'd be about like someone, thank you, that was a major note, uh, <laughs> that uh, he said, he was giving the example that uh, a mama ga gave her daughter some money and she went out and bought some chocolates. She had 10 of them. Said, would it be too much to give mama one of them? Mama gave her the money. I used to do this with Erica. When Christmas came around, I'd get her and I'd say, here's some Christmas money. Buy your mama a gift. Buy your dad a gift. And be sure you buy me one. No pressure. Now, I know what I gave you. And I don't want a toothbrush. In other words, I was underwriting my own Christmas gift. But you know what? On Christmas morning, sometimes when she's little, the wrapping would be a little ragged. But I must say, I thank the gift that I bought for myself through my granddaughter meant more to me than any of the other gifts. Because she went out and did it and made an effort. And I asked Sean and Deborah to give me the money back. <laughs> you see, God will give it to you, but it grieves him. It grieves him when it's a strain to you to give it back to him. Bring it on, Lord. Bring it on. Why? So you can hoard it and consume it on you? And you won't even honor me with it? Doesn't make sense. By the way, uh, who supplied you oxygen through the night? Who, who, who kept this thing pumping? And I don't care if you've got a stent or whatever else you've got. You still got to keep it pumping. Everything you've got, life, breath, health, marriage, children. Any of you ever eat a good meal? Some of you eating too many good meals. <laughs> We're not a poor church, but we love the poor card when we don't want to respond. And here he takes the model of this poor church and he says, these people not only gave their money, 
Uh, and I do not know what verse 3 means. I've tried all these years, but I'm still uh, incompetent. I don't know what it means. They gave according to their ability that I know, but I don't know what it means they gave beyond their ability. They go out and steal something? How do you give beyond your ability? If you've got a good interpretation of that, give it to me. Here, Lord, you want me to give an offering. I'll give according to my ability. Surely, I can't give beyond my ability. Whatever it says, it says they did. Now, how is that? And if you'll write it down and tell me a source that I can prove where you're getting it from, uh, what is that? I don't know. I do not have a good explanation. We're just trying to get you to give according to your ability. I guess you could sell your house and give us the profit. That seems a little extreme, but we would take it. Uh, and, and it says in verse 5, they did this not as we expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Wouldn't it be something today if when you bring your commitment cards, we had 100 people, if we had old-fashioned altar. We used the stairs for an altar. You just came up and you sat down. Could I put myself in the commitment card? Here, Lord, I give myself. I give myself away. Why would God want your money if he doesn't have your heart? If he doesn't have your heart, money is just, it's phony. The biggest thing you ought to think, have I ever given God me? You got all of Jesus. How much of you has he gotten? It's my time, my money, my house, my children, my, my. I've come to the place I never use my about resources. Nothing I've got is mine. It's his in my hands. He gave me my wife, my children. He gave me my old mom and daddy. I couldn't have picked my folks. He gave the ones that were just right for me. Gave me the family, brothers and sisters. Gave me the children, the grandchildren. Gave me this church. And then me start talking about my. Isn't this Babylon that I built? Nebuchadnezzar? You better start learning to chew cud because you're going to be chewing grass for a long time. You forgot that even God raised up Babylon for his glory. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar said in Daniel 4 after he went insane for seven years and his sanity came back. Then he said, now I know that you rule from on high and everything you raise up, you take down, it all comes from you. And I don't I hope you never have to have great tragedy to learn the lesson. May God train you by his word and not by calamity. Now, he takes this great example of Macedonia to encourage him. He said, I want to send Titus. And I'm encouraging Titus. Uh, 
complete the work that you said you wanted to be a part of a year ago. And isn't it amazing how you can get over the emotion uh, of a wonderful meeting, even like this, and you're stirred to do something for God. You're stirred to give, and I'll make that sacrifice. And I'm telling you, within, uh, within three hours or three weeks, you could almost forget it all. Say, so, well, I got a little emotional. Whatever they forgot, they, were, they need to be stirred up. And so, he tells him, go tell them. They should go ahead and do this gift. And in verse 7, he tells them, as you excel in all these other areas, they love spiritual gifts. They loved who could be on the floor. They were... They love different parties, spirit. They had lots of problems. He said, why don't you excel in this grace of giving as much as all this other you want to excel in? You know, gifts, uh, men. He said, why don't you excel, verse 7, uh, excel in this grace. Just as you abound in everything, abound in this matter, this gracious work. I love it. Giving is always called a grace work. If you want to get involved with the grace of God, become a giver. Our God is the most giving person in all the world. He even blesses his enemy. He gives them seasons. He gives them children. He gives them health. He gives them jobs. You know what? Some wicked men live to be 85, and all their life they cuss the name of God. And who kept them alive 85 years? Every morning God said, I want to keep you alive. I don't know that you know this, but if I were God, they wouldn't live that long. <laughs> Why keep people alive that hate me? Why? Keep blessing people that hate me. This is our God. God even is good to the wicked. He was good to you when you were without God and without Christ. That's how you got saved. He was good to you when you were your worst. This God of ours. He goes on to say, um, show the genuineness of your love, Corinth. If you'll give... We'll know you genuinely love. I'm speaking this, this giving, not as a command, but proving the earnestness of others, the sincerity of your love. You know who loves this church? We know it. If we just do a financial record of who the givers are, there's no question who really loves us and loves this church. Now, tell me, do we need a lampstand in West County, Contra Costa? I mean, uh, we've just got, I was talking to Pastor Hedden uh, from Hilltop some years ago. And uh, probably between uh, Hilltop, maybe Bay Hills and us, I'd say between the three churches, we don't run 3,000 people. Now, within 10 miles of us, approximately around 10 miles, Jim told me this, we have approximately 300,000 people. We're not even 1% of the population. We need more churches. 
And I know some people, J. Vernon McGee said one time, he could get people to give to something 5,000 miles away that wouldn't give to the church they were going to. It doesn't seem like it's worth anything if it's at your feet because we don't reach young people in this church. We have no time for young people. We don't have any time for children. We tell them, go down to the rec center and get beat up. Are you kidding? We've been trying to tell people, come out to vacation Bible school. Come out to bungee soccer. Come out to volleyball madness. We got youth people, children workers. They're trying to reach your kids. Who else is reaching them? At home, you tell them to shut up and watch TV. We tell them, come on, let us teach you the Bible. Let's tell you about Jesus. Do it. Are we needed? Do I have to tell you what we're about? We're not a big missions church, but we do have 12 folks we send a check to, and we know we ought to do a tons more, but we're doing something. Ain't nobody sending us checks but you. Do you need a local church? And a lot of folks don't. They want to attend and they want to shop, but they don't, don't ever want to show that they love it. And they don't because they set on their money and they set on their life. They don't become available. I want to tell you, hear me well, hear me well. There's only one thing on the earth Jesus said he was building. I will build Bank of America. I will build the United States Army. What in the world is he building in the earth? Do you know there's some folks, all they see is what's wrong with the church? Why don't you start with the head? And just stay there for a while. I think if you start there, you won't ever get past it. I'm in the church because of the head of the church. He died for me. He purchased me. He put me in the church. This isn't a human organization. A bunch of human beings are doing what we can. But I'm in the church Jesus built. I'm in the church he bought with his own blood. No men put me in this church. Christ alone is the door to get in this church. I'm the door. I'm the way. And until you get that view of God's church, all you're going to do is be critical of God's people. Critical, critical. And when you're critical, you're on the verge of being eliminated yourself because you have no help. There's no gift of criticism. That just means your heart is cold. And I guarantee you, you don't write any checks. Because when you run down what he's building, you wouldn't give anything to keep it going. We give because we love the head of the church. And there's more stuff to give to than I can keep up with. But I start in this local church. Because if I don't give here, if I don't serve here, it doesn't matter what they need in Africa, what they need in India. I've been around. The needs are overwhelming. They always will be. Give all that you can to whomever God leads you to. But I still want a local church in the Bay Area called Valley. Preaching Christ preaching the word, trying to do something.
Well, he keeps telling them, give, do it with equality. But let me just give you two examples of giving. Besides the Macedonians, I was just thinking, what would the richest person in the world give to this church? What if today uh, I opened a letter that Warren Buffett sent, and it was $5 million check? Would you be impressed? I would. I'd say, you tight what? Why didn't you write more? <laughs> but could Warren Buffett give us a $5 million check and be like your $500 check? Sure. Maybe Bill Gates get us in his foundation. How many billions is that foundation worth? You know, money's not a, the problem. Sometimes I've seen people, as resources grow, tight-fistedness grows, stinginess. Not necessarily. The largest gifts we've ever had given in this church were given last year, given by people of means and people who greatly love the Lord. Thank you. That's the challenge of our second year. We don't start the year with that quarter of a million dollar gift. That's why we for sure met the goal last year. We just need another big check to help us. You've been giving wonderfully week after week, but that big check is what really gave the momentum. Uh, we need about one of those every year. How, uh, have you ever consulted the giving of the richest person in all the world. We have the record of his giving. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What grace are you talking about? The grace of giving. That though he was rich. How rich? When you're walking on gold for streets, when you've got angelic beings waiting on you hand and foot, when you're sitting on a throne that looks like Ezekiel 1 and 2, so many onyx, sapphires, diamonds, pearls. I mean, you can't even get the vision of Ezekiel when he's describing the throne room, spirit beings flying all around. Uh, Revelation, they're saying, uh, holy, holy is the Lamb. Here you've got the Lord Jesus, the creator of the universe. He and the Father created all matter, everything. He's pre-Darwin. He's pre-science. He's pre all the way back. He created everything. He told Haggai, tell those people that have put their houses before my house. All the gold and all the silver is mine. I am the richest being in all the universe. Well, Jesus cut us a check. He said, I will. He said, though he was rich, Yet for you, he became poor. How poor did Jesus get? 
He never owned a stick of deodorant. Never owned a toothbrush in his life. Never had a shower in his life. Never had a heated house in his life. Never knew what air conditioning was. Uh, he, if you're ashamed of poor parents, his mom and dad were so poor that when Mary had her purification, she, she had to get a poor man's offering of two turtle doves. They couldn't bring a lamb. They couldn't bring a bullock. They were too poor. Joseph lived in one of the poorest regions of all of Palestine, up in the north by, by Galilee. And Galilee is where all the rowdy Gentiles, the red light district, and many times Roman garrisons were stationed in the north of Galilee by Capernaum, Nazareth. He grew up in a ghetto neighborhood for his day. Poor parents. He owned only one garment that we know of in adulthood that Mary had made for him. And it was gambled for at the cross. He was so bad off that he never had a place to stay unless somebody took him in for the night. During his ministry, he slept out a lot, slept in the wilderness. The reason Mary and Martha are so close, they always gave him a place to stay. Imagine the richest man in the universe looking for a place to stay at night. Because he divested himself for the sake of reaching you. And he could never get you to heaven remaining rich. It was in his poverty that he saved you. I'll have to become poor to reach poor sinners because you don't get any poorer than being a naked man on a cross and being mocked by six hours of cruel men. But I will divest myself. See, you can be a rich man and lose it a thousand different ways. The stock market can crash. It's what happened to Winston Churchill. He had lots of money. He was the son of Lord Randolph uh, Churchill. And so he had a lot of money in the American stock market. He lost it all in the 20s. He said he wrote to eat. He had to write. You can lose money through bad investments. You can lose money. All, but for the richest man with all knowledge, all omniscience, how can he ever get poor? He said, I vote myself voluntarily into poverty. He volunteered to become poor. But here's the thing that's moving. You don't get it, I don't get it. You don't get it, I don't get it. He said the whole reason for the financial decision was you. For you, I became poor. That through my poverty... You might become rich. And I just looked up Ephesians 1.9 where he says, We are partaking of the riches of his grace. Everything I get in salvation, I got through his poverty. Because his poverty led to the cross. So I set before you, children of God, Christianity is built on the poverty of God. The richest became the poorest that he could reach us 
and make us rich in salvation. That's my model, not Moses. It's why I'll never consider myself a great giver. How can I compare? Turn with me to Mark. Mark chapter 4. Uh, I believe chapter 12. Are you there? Mark chapter 12. Verse 41. Look now at the giving of maybe the poorest offering in the New Testament. Jesus is with his disciples at the temple. And um, he takes a seat over by the offering plate. It's kind of interesting. What if Jesus was one of the ushers today and saw what you put in? He did see. He knows. But wouldn't you think Messiah's got more to do than to watch people give their offering? Verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Can you imagine? Amount to a cent. What she gave was basically one-eighth. And in Roman coinage, this is the smallest. But get this. One day's worth of wages was a denarius. One denarii. What she gave was equal to one-sixty-fourth of a day's wages. Now, now, if I knew this woman, I mean, wouldn't it not be, say, wait, reach in and at least give her a day's worth of wages out of the treasury chest, be good, feed the poor. Wouldn't you say, no. I, 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 I am surprised that Jesus didn't stop her or refund her money. Do something, Jesus. He doesn't stop her. Two little coins, you hear clink, clink. One sixty-fourth of a day's wages. That's how small it was. Now, but listen to what he says. Are you ready? Calling the disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. You must be kidding, Jesus. When Jesus is talking, he's not kidding. For they all put in out of their surplus. See, Buffett, they get five million, that's out of his surplus. Gates, one million out of his but we'd all be impressed. We'd publish their gift. We wouldn't publish this gift. Only God keeps a record of these kind. We wouldn't want to consume any paperwork to track giving this small. She put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, 
all she had to live on, which meant she had to go to work that day after being at the temple, giving her offering. She had to go and work for somebody that day to get anything to eat that evening. And Jesus said, God isn't as impressed with what we gave as with how much we've got left. The measurement of it. Someone said asking American Christians to give is like asking an overweight person to give up five pounds. They'll never miss it. Has your giving never hampered your lifestyle? Never has. Never has. The givers in our church have prospered the most. Matter of fact, uh, I, I'm like my brother that, uh, stop it, Lord. Quit blessing me so much because it just means I've got to give more. <laughs> and I don't really say that because I'm afraid he could arrange it. I could arrange that. Would you rather give out of abundance or does God have to keep you poor? God just wants you to give and know that the richest person gave everything. And by the way, he's going to share heaven with me. You wait till you get there. There'll be no poverty lines. There'll be no sick wards. And there won't be any welfare lines. And when you're there, you're rich. And Jesus made it possible. And then if you're here today and you feel intimidated about anything said about offerings, listen to me. Listen to me. God's not impressed with the amounts as much as he is your heart. And he knows what you have. He knows what you'll have left. And this kind of giving he recorded in his word. And I just say to you, church, let us not become weary. Uh, let's keep doing it. We will never quit taking offerings until the rapture. And uh, that's why some of you want to see the rapture. Uh, and uh, there's just something we've got to keep doing. The needs are great. But uh, keep giving. Don't be discouraged. And thank God that you have given. The leadership says on behalf of Jesus, thank you for underwriting a local lampstand that is no stronger than the people that support us and trust God for his resources. So we thank God for you, and we're going to give God glory for you.